it's viola like the instrument viola like the instrument okay yeah. i have viola with me here a shanghai-born brooklyn-based interdisciplinary artist <laughs> technologist and live coder yes is that the i guess that's like the role? that's the official intro on my <laughs> website okay yeah 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 it's hard um sometimes there's multiple titles that people embody yeah for sure and i think it's like so stupid that we all have to like label ourselves and put us into boxes as artists i know yeah especially when you're writing like a bio or yeah something. yeah and you have to write it like okay here's a question are you are you supposed to write your bios yourself but in the third person or are you supposed to get someone else to write them i think you're supposed to write it yourself but okay. in third person okay. and it's like when you submit things to like art things they always ask hey write this in first person but also write that in third person right so. I have different versions of my bios. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. speaking from different from different, different perspectives. <laughs> okay, so we were just talking about how I am new to live coding. I did not know what it was before a week ago. <laughs> and when Kat put me in contact with you, I was talking to my friends at a bar and I was like, I don't even know what live coding is. And they were kind of putting me on to like DJ Dave, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, so I was able to check some of it out. And then I went to your show or your collective's show. Yeah, it's um, it's a Live Code NYC show, but I I was the core. Me and someone called Matthew co-organized the show. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah, it was really it was extremely cool to see. Um, but I guess first off, I'll get you to explain a little bit about your background, um, your practice, and how it's taken shape throughout the years. And how you started getting into live coding. Yeah. Honestly, I'm also pretty new to live coding on the grand scheme of things. I started live coding actually last year in June. Okay. So this is like my, I guess, one year anniversary in this practice. Happy anniversary. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so prior to moving to New York in 2020, I lived in L.A. for like four or five years. I did a lot of film and theater. Um, I went to school for communication studies, but like I've always had a love for visual arts and performance arts um so i was a filmmaker for a couple of years i worked on a lot of my friends projects mostly working in camera and like um gne stuff like i never really touched music though even when i was doing theater like i was directing theater i was acting and i did some like projection stuff for theater um so for me it's always been like a very visual medium um, and then I moved to New York to study at NYU. I did this program called ITP that Kat talked to you about right, in, right. Um, in their thing. Yeah, so it was like an art and technology program that kind of just focuses on like different types of new media and then how to um, apply them. And I think through that program, I met a lot of really, really awesome people who make sound and music. But like a lot of them are like, bros yeah. we have a very like kind of bro culture in my program specific I think related to audiovisual type things right. um and because I've always like made visual art um so I like I started to do a lot more like visual art practices um so I've like I've done visuals for DJs and I've like I've done visuals for more like performance art stuff um but it wasn't until last year that I took a live coding class that I realized there's this whole world out there that makes music with real-time programming. Um, and something about it just clicks with me. And I was like, wow, that was that is so awesome. Yeah. And I still want to, like, I still like doing visuals, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, it makes so much sense. Like, I, 
explore the new medium, I've never really seen myself as a musician um, or like a sound person, but like I've always appreciated sound. Like I love sound design, uh, just like analyzing them in film. Um, like when I used to do theater, like I always like really appreciated people who kind of like voice act and do all the sound stuff. So I'm like, oh, maybe this is something I can try. And I've been doing it for a year now. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. Um, but yeah, I feel like as an artist, my practice is like all over the place and like live coding is just like this recent thing that I latched onto. And I think it kind of, it makes sense to me in many different ways. And it kind of like also kind of tied what I've done in the past, um, together into a very wholesome way. Um, so I really appreciate discovering it. Yeah. It's definitely a medium that seems so unique and very new. I don't know how long. Super niche. Have been doing. Well, live coding has existed for maybe. Oh God, I should have done more research on this. <laughs> I feel like no worries at all. I'm not the best live coding historian, but I think like at least like 10, 15 years, um, in different cities. Live code NYC as a collective, I think started maybe like 2012 or something. Okay. Like it's been around for a it's while. Minute, yeah. yeah, it's been a minute. Um, a lot of my current friends. Um, that are that are in live code has started doing live coding since maybe 2018 2019 that's I think a lot of people I guess in my cohort or like generation of live coders started to do it mm -hmm. uh, DJ Dave as well I think she's the most well-known live coder um, yeah she started doing live coding in maybe 2019 and then like blow up on TikTok um, in recent years during yeah. the pandemic um, so yeah I think too many people live coding has only started to become known in the past maybe two years okay, yeah. but it's been around for a long time got you yeah made sense um yeah when i was watching some videos online and when i went to the thing maybe it's just me projecting but it looks incredibly stressful <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, uh you mean like watching it in like like as a sh like watching the show yeah for some reason I, I guess since my coding skills are not very good it seems more complex than playing an instrument live right um oh yeah i was going to ask you how you feel about this performance like showing it as it's yeah as you're putting it out like everyone can see the process yeah right? and i think that's kind of the the appeal or like the selling point of live coding or at least i think this is like what attracts a lot of us to it is that process is power right yeah. like we like we really honor the building process of it and it's like you're being really honest and vulnerable and exposing the process even though um another thing i think is like live coding is kind of just like made by nerds for nerds mm -hmm. like people are genuinely excited about seeing interfaces and like seeing code um just just seeing it being done in real time even if you don't fully understand the language but you can kind of like guess the process and the structure yeah. um and i think it's just like a very vulnerable way of creating um even though i feel like different people might have different approach and or understanding of live coding like what counts as code is node-based programming also programming or is it actually has to be like written code right, right. and what constitute as a code versus an interface is interface okay to expose or like are we only exposing code and i think there's a lot of it is also kind of just like using this as an aesthetics um or kind of just like thinking about it critically in terms of like you know what is programming because for example when i do live coding sometimes i like to use the code comment 
mm-hmm. um, as like a way to like use natural language to either explain what I'm doing or like using mm-hmm. it to like tell some jokes or like do some audience interactions. Um, a lot of friends has told me that they really enjoy just like seeing my code comments and how I structure my code because I think that's also like a huge part of it um, because I think performance has an arc performance usually has like my performance has an arc has a structure and then so does my code and all of these things intertwine together as a whole mm-hmm. um, in a performance but there are also people who like build a complete set from scratch right. just like from an empty code editor into like having music come out and there are also other people who like already has the entire set built out and they're just executing it along the way so it's just I think different approach to live per- uh, live performance right are some of them more complex than others or some you can kind of like trigger or fire it off more seamlessly? Yeah, um, like to me, I still want to balance like art expression and then honoring the process mm. and then also entertaining the crowd too. Yeah, yeah. It's like I want the drop to happen at the right time. So like so much of it, I think of it as structured improv. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to do jazz dancing um, and then like in jazz like no matter it's jazz dancing or jazz music like so much of it the improvisation happens within a structure and i like i like to do my live coding practice also in this way it's like i usually already have a practice uh, have a structure okay. so that i feel good about it um like i usually pre-write my drum loops um and i would also like pre-write some of the chords some of the melodies and then i only improvise within these structures so i know exactly when i do certain things um but the certain things can change throughout the time i see yeah that was gonna be one of my questions for yeah you. like if you have some type of form or structure that you have going into it versus just improving and freeforming yeah. off the dome. Also like I mean I also don't think of myself as a really good programmer. I wouldn't even s- call myself a programmer, I think. Mm-hmm. I think so many people in live coding are tech workers. Um like people a lot of people have programming as a day job. Yeah. Which I think is a cool thing about live coding is that you're like using these tools that have been like used for capitalistic purposes, mm. but they use it completely for artistic reasons. Yeah. Um, but I think I come from like a little bit of a different background. For me, programming has never been my job, nor do I ever expect to use it mm-hmm. um, for a job. So for me, this is a, a pure pure creative, creative medium. Um, but at the same time, it's like I also have a lot of imposter syndrome being tech adjacent, right. but like not actually working in tech. Um, so to be honest, like if you want me to like code a whole thing completely from scratch on the fly, it would be really extremely stressful for me as well. Um, so it's also for my own sanity that I make it more structured. Like it's just more fun that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes me less anxious. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say how it, to me, it seemed very vulnerable, even just the idea of the screen. Um, I don't know if you experience this, but every time I get asked to share my screen, I get very shy. Yeah. And I get kind of paranoid of like double checking everything that's on there. And I could only imagine showing everyone your process as you're doing it. Yeah. It's really leaning into like mistakes that you're making or just like figuring things out as you go. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's like, it's not that different from like playing an instrument on Mm. stage too because like your instrument is your tool and then your language is your tool and or your uh whatever program or software they're using is your tool um and i think like my generation for me as at at least like i grow up um kind of like with this like very diy aspect of technology um my family actually got our first dialed up 
like computer service thing the year I was born oh really yeah so I kind of like I grew up with this tech and it's like figuring things out is a part of like my tech knowing Mm -hmm. and then like tech has been such like an integral part of my life it feels very natural to be using programming versus like playing a guitar for example right yeah um so yeah I think it's just different approach to like what constitutes as an instrument to you for sure yeah I can see what you mean um I was also wondering you were talking earlier a little bit about the visuals how you used to be more into into visuals before you got into audio how do the visuals play into this are they part of the live coding or are they curated beforehand yeah like visuals are also live coded like live coding um, I think is interesting because different people see it different way. I've had people who ask me about live coding specifically only expecting live coding to be coding visuals mm-hmm. because there are, I think, a lot more straightforward live coding languages and or like understandable frameworks for visuals. Yeah. Uh, like people can write shaders, people can write 3JS, people, there's this very popular live coding language called Hydra that people write in. Um, I think... A lot of people actually associate live coding more with live coding visuals. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, usually the visuals and the sound, like usually live coding, a live coding performance in a very typical way has two artists on stage at the same time. You have a video person um, or like a visual art person, and then you have like a sound person or like music person, depending on how you define your thing. And both of them do live coding on stage it's just one for visuals and one for sound has anyone ever done both at the same time (laughs) yeah and that's like yesterday we had a solo set okay um with this person mark and then they were doing sound and visual at the same time i've also done sound and visual at the same time uh for myself um it's not like my preferred way (laughs) of doing it um because i feel like there's just so much more fun in a collaborative uh, way and also, I think it's just like there's so much going on at the same time. It's hard. But sometimes it's like for a very conceptual piece, people would want to do sound and visuals at the same time because like they kind of want like full creative control over the environment they're creating. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. So what kinds of sounds are you trying to create? Like, what do you find that you're drawn to? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, it's kind of vague, sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, I think it's... Um, I also get insecure when people ask me about music. I, I guess it's also, like, a very vulnerable thing. I don't know. I feel like people have to be like, oh, like, what kind of music are you into? Right, like, right. can't see your Spotify. It's like... Yeah. <laughs> it can be a little, like, um, judgmental. But um, I think for me, I... I'm, like, recently I've been getting a little bit more into, like, sound design like designing different synth sounds and then just like finding different sounds that can be mixed together that might not be categorized as music. So I would just be like, oh, it's kind of like a sound design thing or like mm-hmm. a droney, like ambient. But then also like I I grew up playing piano and percussion. I wasn't like a good, good musician because I grew up in China and the music education, I think there has a very specific craft to it like it's very craft driven not like music theory driven or like expression driven I guess um but then it's like I got pretty good at percussion and it's like for me like rhythm has always been like a huge part of it 
and it also inspired me to do like jazz dancing because it's like a very rhythmical like a lot of footwork kind of dance so for me it's like I love making (laughs) drum loops I love just making like rhythms and with code it's like so easy and so fascinating to create just like different rhythms that triggers different sounds and synths so I do like to do that kind of stuff Um, but at the same time it's like I think a recent goal for me is to make like danceable like dancey like ravey music that has like a little bit of techno influence a little bit of pop influence Um, I think it's also like super important because for me like live coding as a performance art like people call it algo rave right i don't know if you've heard of the term algo rave it's a mixture of algorithm and rave yeah yeah. (laughs) it's a little silly (laughs) (laughs) i like it i'm down with it yeah but i think it kind of explains what it is is that yes it's like kind of a mathematical process but it's also a rave it's a party Mm -hmm. it's a party for nerds and like i think in a lot of my case especially in life code nyc like it's also a party for queer nerds Mm -hmm. um this community like embodies so much spirit in just like underground queer raves and then like in like some some of it sometimes it feels like very punk to me that there's like a really like real party element to it so sometimes i'm just like okay i also want to give people very very dancey sets that people can just like have fun and like Mm -hmm. dance so it's just like I think there are two sides of me one is like oh this is more like artistic narrative side of things that I want to create a world I want to create a soundscape with like interesting synths and interesting like drip of sounds and then interesting rhythms but at the same time I also want to create dancey stuff Mm -hmm. like pop music for me um I think when I discovered Sophie I'm like wow like pop Big moment for everyone. Big moment for everyone, <laughs> right? It's, yeah, and I'm just like, oh, that's that's what pop music can sound like. Yeah, totally. And it can be so creative, so rich, uh, so full of personality, but at the same time, it's also, like, so relatable yeah. for people. Um, and it's there's so much, like, radical meaning in these type of music that I didn't know that existed before because I don't think I listened to a lot of pop music. Um so I do think there are, um, so like this has been something that I'm like, okay, maybe I should like kind of dig more into that to like give people what they want, yeah. be an entertainer. Poptimism for sure. Yes. I, I like what you just said there because it's true. I was just kind of trying to break down in my head how this seems skewed towards one genre kind of, you know, like electronic ravey music, but there is so much more space within that there's so many different paths that that could go down into um and like i know a lot of people do ambient music it is still very electronic based but it doesn't necessarily have to be like just raving yeah and a cool thing about coding is that you don't really have to follow any like western music rules Mm -hmm. Um, there are so many like numbers and like numbers in between numbers and then fragments of numbers that you can like really go into like strange sound and like notes that are like tonal or microtonal or like that are like swinging or like barely swinging. There's so many potentiality in between different structures and different genres that you don't really have to define what kind of sound you're making um or like if it's music or not right right and i think the show that happened 
uh, queer coded. I think it's so cool. I didn't even know what I was expecting because even though we curated the show, we kind of know most of the artists playing and we know that everyone has a very different style, but there's still like the vast range of the sound and the visuals that people make still surprised me how like everyone just like took live coding completely in their hands, just like wielding the tools that they find most challenging or comfortable or creative to create these things that cannot really be put into boxes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And that's queer. <laughs> that's super queer. Yeah, you're right. Do you see more um, creativity or more like potentiality to be creative in live coding versus doing traditional music for yourself personally? For me, absolutely. Yeah. And... I think I have a very specific reason for it as someone who is like not trained in right. music theory, but still like likes creating music. And I think I have like a pretty se good sense of like, oh, like this sounds good or like, oh, like this tickles something in my brain and or, or like, oh, this makes me feel a certain way. But I think because of the lack of musical theory training, it's hard for me to put language into it. Um, and also like creating music, for example, in a doll in Ableton, which is the main doll that I use. I've also been learning to like produce better or to mix better as I was learning live coding. But it, I feel like it only happened because of live coding, this like very easy way to just like generate music in a pretty structured way for me to be able to now find a pathway to learn music in my own way and in my own time. It feels a lot less pressure because it's, I guess there's like much less like structured connotation to it. So I feel less self-conscious or like even ashamed to make music. Mm -hmm. And also it makes more sense to me than like learning, like Ableton, for example, has a specific interface to it. Like learning interfaces can be very difficult for some people. And I think for others, it might be different. So I think it's just really different expressions for different people. But I remember I took my first live coding workshop with like two other friends. Um, like we're all like kind of tech adjacent people. Um, but I think out of the three of us only, I was like, oh my God, this makes so much sense. The yeah. other people are like, what is this? I don't understand. <laughs> so I think it's just everyone has a very different um, way of understanding things. Um, so one might work for me, but it might not work for other people. Right, yeah. And I think people feel more creative in the thing that they feel most adept at. It's just like you break open this world and you can do stuff with it. Yeah, absolutely. Depending on how much or how little you like click with something when you first start trying it. Yeah. Um, I was reading a little bit about your work, so I was trying to get to know mm. the full shape of it all better. Um, I saw that you're interested in blending our physical and virtual selves. I've been having a few conversations. I mean, my conversation with Kat was leaning towards that as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. Um specifically of one quote where you say that you often dream about infiltrating digital spaces with physical bodies as tools for intervention. Yeah. So I was wondering your takes on this and um, on the interactions between our physical and virtual selves. Yeah. Um, I think like nowadays there's like so much of like VR and or 3D world and it's like yeah. a very straightforward way, I guess, to like make avatars and like make them work for us or like morph them and then change them into different shapes and I think there's like so many possibilities in that um but I'm not a 3D artist like for me it's just like my medium is so physical I think of, even though I'm like oh I'm like multimedia 
um, I think eventually I am still like a performance artist. Like for me, like being in a physical space with people is very integral to the art that I was making. And I think it's also part of the reason why I kind of stopped doing film um, mm -hmm. because like I think like visual art is like so interesting by the same time it's like producing a film like that process and then just like and then just like having it just there on a computer screen still feels like very alienating <laughs> to me it's like I would rather you know like when you make a video art piece like having it displayed like on a wall like thinking about how you map the place like the material you're projecting on like all of these very physical textile things to me are very very important and I kind of discovered that as I do things um and I, I think a big turning point for me was like trying to um reconcile like me myself my body and then like especially like my dancing body and then like combining that into my digital practices um I started this project um in 2021 um I call it like 100 days of like digital bodies that's what I was going to ask you yeah about, yeah. yeah so I, I did that because um I think being on like I I went to grad school during COVID and then it was just like kind of being trapped in different types of screens but it's actually kind of cool like I kind of like like it mm -hmm. I think it's like a really controversial take because most people are like oh like COVID COVID like isolation sucks or like Zoom University but I, yeah. I feel like it learned I almost learned better that way it feels like a multiplayer world to me <laughs> it's like we're all in our physical world but then like we kind of like transcend these time spaces to be in this like digital world together mm -hmm. and I think that's like a part of when I start to think about oh like are we like infiltrating this digital world that are like so flat and so cold but then like we're like adding warmth to it um, there's so many like personal touches when you're like on Zoom with people, and then my cat will come over and say hi to my professor's cat. Yeah, <laughs> and that's I'm, cute. Yeah, and then there's just like so much of just like these like emergence of different time spaces that are super super interesting to me. And I started to try to like because I was struggling to like still dance and then move my body, but at the same time I'm like, oh, I think there's so much more to this digital world, and then we're gonna get more used to it. Like I was having like a crisis because I'm like oh is this just gonna be our lives from now on are mm -hmm. we just gonna live in these different screens and how can we make the screens um to work for us yeah, yeah. um so it's like okay let me try to see if I can dance but at the same time like make digital art mm -hmm. um so I did so I started to do more like motion capture stuff um but in a very DIY way like just like simple webcam um like sometimes using code sometimes using computer vision sometimes using a depth camera to capture data that translates into like vi visual formats um and then I started to do some like gesture mapping into sound um it's like not new work. I've I've seen so many artists like use these type of te technology to do like movement based work, um, and it speaks to me in a certain way that I feel like I can finally, like, still move, but then like still like, not be against this like digitization, um, and then still finding cool ways to like represent myself in the screens, that is gonna dominate our lives yeah. for the near future. So would you say that? you are trying to find ways to be more interactive like you were talking earlier about film and it's just kind of there yeah versus n new mediums that you can do it's 
it kind of busts that open. Yeah, and I think like there are many different ways to think about interactivity. Yeah. Um, and it's like me as an artist being interactive with the mediums that I choose, but it's also like the people who see the things or experience the things and then like how they feel and then how like that matters to them. Because I will, <laughs> the, the video art professor that I had in undergrad would argue that like her video art is also interactive. Um, I, I think so. <laughs> um, because like people can have different interpretations or, you know, people will see it and then like feel different ways. Like if it touches you or changes how you see right. or how you feel, um, would you still see say that's interactive? Mm -hmm. um, I think there can be many different arguments in theory about what is interactivity. Yeah, true. And it's kind of funny that I went to this program about interactive art, but still, I I don't know how I <laughs> would define interactivity. But I think for me, it's always about creating experiences, creating spaces. Um, and I think that kind of lead us back into live coding because I think so much live coding is space making yeah. um, because sound kind of like fills the space um, and then like visuals at the same time it's like if you just think about it as like just like being on a computer it's like you're kind of like squishing spaces you're squishing something into a 2d representation what it is but then when it turns into like projection or like a, a mapped space it becomes like light as well right. it fills the space um and it's colors it's shapes but it's also like light it like it really controls the environment so eventually like the sound and the visuals create the space together for people to experience so it's a very collective socially engaged experience um and i think that's the kind of like interactivity that i seek it's not just for myself but also for other people to experience as well mm -hmm. yeah it seems like kind of a hyper i don't want to say hypersensitive but it's engaging you in multiple ways right there's the sound you're also reading certain things on the screen there's also the visual component lights as well and then all of that is coupled with the people who are around you it's kind of like a rave right yeah it is kind of like a rave it's like a very visceral thing to be a part of yeah um, since you were mentioning interactivity, um, also when I was looking at, at your art, I was seeing some of the interactive work that you did, specifically the Vessel 615 piece. Yeah. Um, I thought it was really interesting. I love seeing stuff like that. Um, I'll let you describe it first and then I'll yeah. do some follow-ups. Yeah, so Vessel 615 um, is, I would say it's a video sculpture piece um, that I made with my friend Anne. Um, and it's mostly like based on my own experience of like being sick and being hospitalized and then like reflecting on the hospital systems, the language that they use, and then just also being objectified and being perceived as a sick bodies for like a huge chunk of my life when I had cancer when I was younger. Um, so the whole piece is this big fish tank full of water with images projected on the back. And the images are a combination of like some like abstract video art and like my actual CT scans like of my body. Yeah. And then there are subtitles underneath that kind of reads out the diagnosis and then like the medical report that the ho doc the hospital wrote of me um like they describe your body in such 
cold medical languages and it puts you in like very binary boxes like your age your sex mm. um like they describe your like bladder like they describe like the shape of your heart um and then like how much of this element is in your blood it's just a very scientific categorical description mm-hmm. um of like what's wrong with you right. basically um and the interactivity part of it is that um the entire tank has this water pump system that constant constantly runs in a heartbeat kind of rhythm but then there's also a squeeze bottle on top with ink um so anytime that anyone like gets closer to the tank especially if they're like trying to read the text um or like watch the images a, um, a drop of ink gets squeezed from the bottle into the water so over time as people pay attention to the piece uh, the piece gets contaminated um, and it continues to run until it becomes like a tank of black water mm-hmm. um, and then the subtitle can no longer be seen right right yeah i w- what i was trying to get at which i think you just addressed there is you were describing the context of it as the that it confronts the absurdity of body alienation um, when you're being looked at and examined in this medical facilities. Um, And I do definitely understand what you mean. Like I remember one time my friend, she broke her collarbone and we went to the hospital. It was like four in the morning and when she was getting the (laughs) x-rays, she came back crying because she was like, the doctor kept saying, like he, he was looking at the x-rays and he was being like oh like this is so cool i've never seen something like this and she was like that's that's me yeah <laughs> it's not like, like this fragmented thing on the screen like that's my that's my collarbone that's my yeah shoulder. and it's like um i took this class in school called um stories of illness mm-hmm. um and i think that class really gave me some like more perspective because i feel like the patient has a very very specific experience in the hospital yeah. and it's like completely different from people who like practice medicine um and people who are like nurses or like caregivers and, or people who are like families and friends and caregivers mm-hmm. um and i think for like people who practice medicine it's like they go through these things every single day like it's not their fault that they're alienating our bodies but the pain that we feel is also real that you know we are being pictured and categorized and then like being looked at and being read and it's like not only from the doctors but it's also just from like everyone around us as well um while I was sick going to the hospital especially I feel like as someone who like occupy um like a female presenting body Mm -hmm. um there's this like kind of like in intersection of of like female body being objectified and a sick body being objectified and like people looked at me because i'm young and i have this like body um but then i'm also like sick um and it's just like a very surreal experience it's like that's that's why i'm like it's it's absurd yeah it's super it's super strange to hear these words being spoken to us about ourselves um that we will never see ourselves that way um i made a comic at a time 
where it was just like it was a side side by side image of myself just like in a medical gown and on the left side I'm like how the hospital sees me and it's just like oh like the bladder is significant or <laughs> you know it's like age and gender and then right. it's like how I see myself I'm like oh I'm hungry right exactly it's like the, I feel things but it's like what is my body really yeah it seems like it exacerbates the sense of dualism that we have of you know mind body yeah um, they seem the boundary of them is drawn very firmly when we're in these situations and I think that that does inherently make us uncomfortable because these are always they're constantly interacting in our brains to the point where we yeah. can't even think about it of yeah. what is my mind and what is my body and these languages are like also not accessible yeah, to true. real people who like don't have medical knowledge it's like we need them to be translated into us in a way that can understand that we can understand that doesn't sound as cold um or like objectifying and yeah it's like it's not the job of the doctor to do that but i think um it takes some like serious work to like to reconcile our bodies are not just that Exactly, yeah. I feel like, I don't know why I have this construct in my head, but um, it's probably rooted in gender norms, but um, nurses are supposed to have more, what do they call it, like bedside manner? Mm. And then when you're seeing specialists, they're kind of more cold and calculated and they're giving you this scientific language versus nurses are more there... Um, not for personal support but that is part of their jobs right but also like not necessarily yeah. i would say um i also i had a really really cool doctor in la mm -hmm. who um i think is like really personable with their with the patients and um she's also chinese which i think helps a lot yeah. like she has a lot of chinese patients um who would like fly from china just to see her because she's first she's good at her job but then also she, like she's a really really good doctor um and then she leads these like clin clinical tra trial in cancer that has like saved so much life but wow. at the same time it's like she is very nice very friendly super personable and then like every year she would like organize us to get together and then just like uh -huh. talk about our experiences That's so nice. yeah and i think so much of it is it's is the story of illness it's like seeing all these like people as stories as narratives that are not like linear we all have our own way of healing and then like way of like understanding or living with the, the disease for a very long time um and it's like it doesn't have to be like really cold yeah but then also i've also had like very terrible experiences where they're just like oh like i, I don't understand why you are crying right now right. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah so yeah, I don't think it's like, but I but I but I do I, I do kind of see what you're saying, and it's like I think the the con connotation is that oh like it's not their job to explain these things to you, mm -hmm. yeah. um, but I wish I wish we can just all be a little bit nicer with a little bit more patience. Yeah, true. Word. <laughs> Word. Um, since we were talking about dualism a little bit, I know we were already discussing um, virtual and physical dualism, but when I was reading some of the stuff on your site, you were describing the love-hate relationship with technology that yeah. you have. 
Um, I think this is something that we all deal with, but it kind of channels itself differently. We all have different gripes with technology. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was wondering if you could unpack that a little bit for me. Yeah. Um, this is actually kind of like my thesis um, okay. if, when I graduated um, grad school. Um, like I, for me, like tech has always like manifested in a very like DIY kind of way. Um, like I talked about how like I grew up kind of like with a very like amateur internet. Um, yeah. And then I was like very online as a child. I was in a lot of like um, forums, chat roulettes, yeah, meeting different people, but also like modding these spaces. I was like a mod okay. um, in a lot of the forums that I was participating in. And I also kind of like learned to make flash like animations oh, cool. um, for like fan art purposes and also just like making silly games. And I also learned, I think I learned like a mixture of like a markdown and HTML, CSS. It's like not like real programming, but I was like, I was writing a blog in this service that I already shut down called Blogbus. It's like a Taiwanese like blog service that was pretty popular in China for a while. And the, the, the coolest function for me is being able to customize yes, your blog. Yeah. <laughs> like they have their own interface. So it's not like pure coding, mm -hmm. but it's like part coding, part like, built-in interface yeah. and that was the coolest thing yeah. and I was obsessed with like customizing pages and I was like building my own site I was helping my friend builders I'm like let me teach you how to code <laughs> and I didn't even know it wasn't even real coding but like for me it has always been like wielding um these things for like very creative purposes like without even knowing that they're technology because they're like so ubiquitous exactly yeah, yeah. and then like on the other side, it's like being school and like learning math. And then like we had to learn like visual basic. Um, yeah, I think VB, I think that that's the language we had to learn in like computer classes. Okay, yeah. And then it's like none of that has resonated me at all. Mm -hmm. I'm like very bad at math. Um, I'm like okay at physics, but like science has never been my thing. Like I've always been more of like a liberal arts person. Yeah. So like there's this like very like linear like science education part that like never really resonated with my brain. Um, and then like going to college and stuff, it's just all always like yes, like I can do tech things for fun. Like I like I've I've taken a a web art class mm -hmm. in college. I've I've discovered. Also, it's like I kind of forgot about this whole like using tech for fun thing when I was a child. Yeah. When I like started to like go to school and like do more serious school stuff until I think it was almost like my senior year of college where I discovered there is like a art tech kind of program in my school. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty new, um, but they exist. And so I took an HTML, CSS, JavaScript class. Um, it was like a web art class that we talked a little bit about um like web art history but then also like we also built our own site so i i made a lot of like handmade sites at the time mm -hmm. and it's like this labor of love right it takes a lot of like care and like maintenance and yeah. then like learning things yourself um and it's like deeply creative but then also it's like structured and you know like you do have to follow a lot of rules and right. you do have to do a lot of like learning but it's like if for me it feels like some kind of alternative education that I never really experienced 
um, in programming and or tech in that way. So I was like, oh, like maybe I can do that. Um, and that's when like I started to like make friends with more people who do like new media art stuff and I started to do more like experimental performance theater things, doing like video designs and all of that and like made friends who are more in like a, in more, in more techy ways. Yeah. Um, so that's when I applied to ITP. I'm like, okay, like I want to go to a school that's for that. Yeah. How cool would that be? Yeah. And I went to ITP. Um, and then it's not kind not the same as what I expected. How so? Um, <laughs> there are like institutional stuff that I think is just institution, right? But I think on a on a in a tech sense, it's just like for the first time I was exposed to so many different tools, and yeah. it's so cool to be exposed to so many tools. But at, at, at the same time, I feel like their lack a discipline, a critical aspect of like how we use these tools. Like, are we using it for unethical reasons sometimes? Are we using it for um, something that's unnecessary? Like, that's another thing for me. It's just like, I, like, I like visual art, but I never really got into like VR. Mm -hmm. was because I feel like it's a super not accessible medium. Yeah. And like, you know, for people who like build things in Unreal Engine and stuff, like the cool things about the tool of that specific software, it's it's like real time render power. And it's that you can make like complex interactive systems with that. But then when people just like use it to make like some like animation or like, you know like one avatar that moves it's like why do you even use that tool yeah, yeah. um and i think a lot of times we're not really having these conversations so i kind of have to explore that for myself and i think i get very frustrated because it's just like you you have so many things laid in front of you but then like what is the right thing to use like what works for me um and the things that i'm trying to express um and wor what works against me almost mm -hmm. um and it's also just like learning new things is hard. Exactly. It's hard like, to be bad at stuff. Yeah, like learning learning new tech is is difficult. Yeah. And there's like so much again, like accessibility issues too. Like so much tech requires like either like GPU or computer powers and so much of tech yeah. like requires you to have internet access at all times. Like so much tech require you to like like learn things in a certain way that it's being taught. Um, but at the same time, like there are so many um, like o open source things that have like online tutorials, like people teach each other. Um, so like learning is not linear mm -hmm. in that way. And I think like trying to learn tech by going to a school probably isn't like the best way to do it as I kind of reflect back on it. But I'm also really grateful to be exposed to so many people that do different things and i think eventually it, like it leads me to like feel more grounded in what i do but i think it took a lot of trial and error into mm -hmm. finding what i like to make yeah what do you think is the best way to learn new tools hmm. for, for me it's always learning through making okay yeah. but then it's like you oftentimes don't have time or like the brain power to be like, let me just do a project. I know. Right now. I have such a hard time reading instructions. Yeah. And whenever there's a new tool that I want to try, I'm like, I'm just gonna do it. Like I'm just gonna dive in there and 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 see what I can do and like yeah. learn as I go. And then I'm doing that for a while, and you know, it's hard. 
but then eventually once you're like immersed enough in the platform you can start watching tutorials or start learning more and it like makes sense to you you're like oh it would have been way easier if i just got this right but i think it's like there's always that right it's like it, it, it almost take make you like you almost need to be comfortable enough to start like reading documentation yeah true the, because even that's a barrier that is such a barrier <laughs> and it's just like in these like languages of like writing these tutorials and like writing these barriers and that's also like i think something i constantly reflect now that i'm like trying to teach people how to do what i do and like you know like trying to write documentation for the projects i've made and i always thought back on when I first started to use these things. And I'm just like, how difficult it is for me to even just like open GitHub yeah, I know. and then like try to read what people have written. And I'm <laughs> no, like, what I it, like, I can't, what is it? And it's like so many, like, again, like I learned to write website by having a blog that I love. So I want to make it pretty. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, okay, let me just like change these numbers. Aha, a new color. And then like you start to like figure it out by doing it like I learned how to like edit videos like I learned to use like the entire Adobe suite all just because I have something that I want to do um and for me I think it's always been the best practice but then it's just like at what point do you find find a more disciplined structured way for yourself at what point do you because I do think it's also still important to um like once you're more once you're more comfortable with it, I think you can start to like seek other resources or like dive deeper into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, it's always been a struggle. Is like where is that point? When do I feel comfortable enough? Right. Because even with live coding, I feel like um, I still feel very self conscious using it. It's like not my second nature mm-hmm. yet. Yeah. To be like oh like I'm like just super comfortable to just explore <laughs> to like write my own library. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, it kind of blends into what something that you were getting at earlier of the construct of like left and right brain. And when you're an artsy person growing up, um, you stay away from math and science. And I feel like as we grow up and especially this space that so many of us are inhabiting right now, of mm. the intersection of art and technology, mm. um, it's blending that. And you're realizing that these the boundary between between those two is not so firm and they actually have been blending into each other the whole time yes but when we're younger it's easy to just be like i'm not into that stuff i don't understand it and to me that kind of creates the barrier of when i'm trying to learn something that i'm interested in and there is all of this like mathematical methodical language i'm just like oh i can't i i don't know about all this stuff yeah and i feel like it this is also like a gendered connotation definitely um like even um like now I like went back into like when I was younger like I was actually in this club called a semi it's like semiconductor club Mm -hmm. but I just call it soldering club now because we just solder things (laughs) it was just like we we get some like electronic components and like I've made like a doorbell and like a little like radio for my grandpa um but it's just like we get these things and then we solder things from the instruction it's kind of like playing with lego almost um and I thought about like the years I've spent in that club and like I'm the only numb man in that entire club it's like boys it's a boys club and they're not the cool boys they're like the nerdy (laughs) boys and like a lot of like my girlfriends would like laugh at me for doing that and they're like like why are you 
like even in that space soldering things every day and it it creates like the the gendered connotation of like science and and like stem in general i think does create a great barrier because now you're like oh i guess i shouldn't do that and Mm -hmm. i'll just give up it's not it's not just like one thing or two i think it's just like when the the popular connotation is against you um it's really hard to push past that and i i think the spaces now we inhabit is already so much better for women for queer people for people of color like there's still so much space to improve um especially as i've seen like in institutional spaces how like even though in like the most like supposedly supposedly like forward thinking like futuristic programs um it's still and then like a lot of these programs that i see or are a part of are like already like very female dominant and then like there's like a very increasingly increasing number of queer people Mm -hmm. and people of color but still yeah i'm trying to like not like talk (laughs) shit about like the people (laughs) i go to school with or like my coworkers, but it's just like i still get frustrated when like white men like cis white men in my class are like oh like i've helped my dad build motorcycles since i was eight i'm so comfortable with this let me just do it and then they will just do it because it's comfortable for them but Mm -hmm. i'm just like for me it's not second nature i didn't do carpentry when i was eight exactly yeah it's like you weren't afforded the opportunity yeah i was never afforded the opportunity and then like some sometimes these like institutional spaces are the only places that we were told that we can learn these things and the moment you're not excelling at these things you give up exactly yeah it does kind of turn into this self-defeating narrative of you not being used to something versus you not being able to do something and because you aren't good at something or now you feel too old or you feel like the time has passed or it's too hard for your brain to rewire itself to understand these things. You're just like, well, I can't. I, I don't yeah. know. It's not in my nature. Yeah. And that's why I think live coding has been so empowering mm-hmm. because it's like finding a medium that is inherently like a, it's like when you think about tech and like what is tech. Yeah. I think like programming is like one of the first things that you would think about. Mm-hmm. And I, when I was younger, I thought programming was so hard. Yeah, it's like the the the, the most frightening thing, like <laughs> ones and zeros and like numbers, and yeah. then like things run. Like how how does that even work? Um, to like with that, you can like make beautiful experiences and bring people together. And then also, like, it becomes an educational space, too. Like, at Live Code, we have workshops and we have, like, meetups. And, like, I've seen so many, like, new people emerging this space. I mean, including myself, too, I guess. People in my collective see me as, like, a new person emerging into the space and then, like, really, really enjoying what I do. Yeah. Um, there's, like, a lineage of knowledge outside of a traditional pedagogy system, outside of the institution, Um because it's just a collective of people and then we genuinely like each other and then we teach other things and i think that's so beautiful yeah how do you guys open up space for each other to learn from the rest of the collective um we have bi-weekly meetups um which i don't go to that much but it's usually at brooklyn public library it's like every second sunday um and then people just like go there and then show work and then like discuss sometimes some people brought a laptop and they would just be coding and then people would just like look and ask questions 
Um, some of our events that we make has workshop elements to it, which is pretty cool. Um, one of my first events that I've been to last year when I first joined the collective was this event called Club Code. No, not, uh, wait, oh my God, what is it called? I'll go club. It was a it was an event called Algo Club, okay. but th they had a dark mode and the and the light mode, <laughs> okay. which is a very interesting. I think I think it was, it was a brilliant name, but yeah. But Algo Club light mode was like in the daytime where um, right. they like ran workshop and like everyone just like comes in and teach like a thirty minute workshop um, on the tools that they use and their creating processes. And then at night it turned into a rave where people like perform, um, nice. and I think it was a fantastic format. Um, that summarizes what we do at Live Code is that like we also teach each other mm -hmm. things and yeah and, and and I guess I want there to be like a more linear way because it's like yes we do try to teach each other but then eventually you're still like making your own performances right like this is not like a class where we have to like make assignments or just like help each other every step along the way but but at the same time i think there is some beautiful things about like exposing someone for the first time and then giving them a little bit of knowledge just a little bit of knowledge a little bit of guidance i think a lot of it is translation too yeah. like translating what live coding is in human languages like what we're doing right now yeah. um with human experiences that are tangible um that are easy to follow and then go crazy like mm -hmm. do your thing yeah. um and then in a month or two some new people will come up with a set and then we're like okay let's put you in a show um and that's how we will organically happen cool how big is the collective now and do you find it's kind of like popping off what's your what's the turnover rate <laughs> it's so hard to say because our discord is so large let me see oh, actually really? let me let me check how many people are in our discord yeah, no our, it's not like not everyone's active not even like I would say more than 20% is active, but that's already like, I think a huge number. That's always how Discord groups. Yeah, the, the Discord also only started during COVID. Um, before, like, before I think Live Code didn't even have like a online digital space. Oh, really? So I think having Discord is has been super helpful. Okay, we have a thousand members. Whoa, okay, yeah. Yeah, a thousand eleven members. Um, but yeah, I think, but we have like a very solid, like, 30 to 50 people that like i've like seen right yeah. like people who have played shows who have organized shows and then we have maybe like a i would say around 10 to 20 people that are like active volunteers and organizers people who like organize shows and then like like help run the discord like help lead the meetup um like do more community building work um, so I would say it's about that kind of scale. And I think it's like a perfectly good scale for a subculture. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think we are probably one of the bigger collective, um, in the U S there's also, um, San Francisco AV club, mm -hmm. um, which I think a lot of live code NYC members have also worked with in the past. Um, they're also a relatively bigger scene. And then there are some like other scenes um, in different cities scattered throughout the country. Right, yeah. Yeah, so we're not the only one that do this, but I think we're, we're like one of the largest. Are you the only one in New York or are there other smaller ones? There, uh, there is no like collective that we know of, but I know there are other live code artists who or like musicians who also incorporate live coding who are like not a part of the collective. Right. And also there are people like DJ Dave who like would play our shows, um, but then also do their own thing and then like 
DJ other events. There are some bicoastal people who like organize shows both in New York and San Francisco. Um, so yeah, it's like I think I think there are a lot of adjacent spaces. Um, there are I think a lot of DJs and like experimental musicians that we are now trying to establish relationships with, and hopefully that we can work with in the future. Um, there are a lot of like live code members who also play like you know, like Bushwick queer raves or like, you know, they would do like, like noise events. People, uh, we have a lot of members who are in the synth or like noise communities um, mm -hmm. who are in the more like experimental sound making kind of aspect. So yeah, I think we have a lot of different branches and live code is no longer like a very linear narrative, which is I think why I can say that it has blown up. Because right. I think each subgroup can now kind of exist on their own and each subgroup can kind of like do their different things, but then we support each other as a collective. Sub subculture. Sub subculture. <laughs> so, okay, in terms of your own work, I feel like I'm seeing these different parts that are interrelated, like your live coding, your interactive art, um, the stuff that you do that's. Uh, like motion capture yeah um i don't know all the different parts i know that you do installation work as yeah, well yeah yeah so how do you see all of this coming together and i'm wondering if there's like some sort of through line that you are trying to create or if you're just putting yourself into all of your different interests i think i am putting myself in many different interests because um i think like un understanding yourself is difficult and for me like for like a multicultural person um i think it even took me a very long time to like understand my cultural identities and like as an expat who like live in this country um like writing and existing and thinking and dreaming in like two different languages um i used to like write extensively in chinese that like i would make work um and tell jokes in chinese but then it's like also i have to like explain my work and then put myself out there and then like live here and then use English. Um, there's like so much, I think, part of me and my identity that I think I was like very afraid to not compartmentalize, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, like yeah. I almost feel like I have to like put myself in these like very specific boxes in order for me to be understood. Right. That's why I'm like, okay, like maybe I can say I am a performance artist, but then I can also say that like <laughs> I'm a comedian and like, you know <laughs> I'm a I'm an installation artist or but then like I think eventually like these labels are helpful to understand parts of you, but then don't they don't summarize the full of you. Um, yeah. yeah, and I think it's like a complex thing that I'm still like trying to work on. But like I think so much of these things I think now are making sense to me as a whole like especially I, I think in these like performance practices where like when I used to do theater and then like when I used to dance I mean I still dance um, like so much of these like performance art to me makes so much sense together as a whole mm -hmm. because it is about how you express yourself and how you entertain the crowd um, and also, like, as an event organizer, too, because, like, I'm not only performing, like, I'm also, like, really, really into organizing these things and then, like, curating the show and then putting yeah. together an experience. And for me, it's always, like, related to, like, my interest in other people and the human experience um, and then just, like, creating spaces for everyone to, like, exist. 
um so like i think so much of these performance art is about like bringing people together um and then like sharing and celebrating togetherness yeah. um so there I, th- I think there is a through line in there in like cu- cultural organizing and in performing in different aspects and mediums um and i think apart from that there's another part like the like the installation interactive media that that part i think that's that's kind of related to like because so much of these in- interactive art is like electronics like a lot lot of mm, it is yeah. like electronics art that i make that i haven't i didn't even talk about with you um because sometimes i'm like oh that's like kind of like a different thing but like i also got into like hardware and, and electronics while i was in grad school okay, and cool. i think one of the coolest thing about these like electronics things is again the bridging of physical and the digital right. um because like you use these like physical sensors to like sense the world and mm-hmm, you know yeah. it's like whether it's like a camera capture situation that's more complex or if it's just like a small temperature sensor that like sense it's like you're just like you have an input and you have an output you input something and you output something else um and i think that's kind of true to a lot of these digital mediums that we work with is that you turn something into another thing um transformative literally <laughs> translation too yeah, yeah. like so much like i think i like to explain a lot of things as translation you've heard me use this word a lot <laughs> it's because i feel like i've been like kind of like translating things all my life like right. from different cultures um from different languages and then from different experiences because i feel like in this country as an immigrant i constantly have to explain myself and what it means and i want to be as clear and articulate as possible but i also want to be creative yeah yeah um and i think so much of these like interactive work is also translation you're translating one experience into another you're translating one movement into something else you're translating sound into visuals visuals into sound movement into lasers yeah it's just like translating between between different mediums and these physical slash digital processes um that are super interesting to me and the tech making part of it is also super exciting and that's why i'm like oh like making these interactive installations makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's why a lot of installation artists also do performance yeah yeah yeah. i definitely see that as well i was wondering if you feel the need to translate or explain the metaphors behind all of your work this is something that I struggle with too Mm. or sometimes I just don't feel like it but then sometimes especially I think when you're learning to do art in these traditional academic settings you need to do that you need to do that yeah. yeah and I think it's like I think it's also twofold because like on one end I hated for just like like rigid art practice reasons it's like why do you have to find meaning everything you do Mm -hmm, right like sometimes it's just like pure aesthetics and i i I think like people don't count it's like sometimes i'm like oh i'm just making a pretty thing yeah like why doesn't that count as art like does it have to have deeper meaning but at, at the same time i also feel like it's so important where you come from and it's like what is pretty to you yes i am just making a pretty thing but like why is that pretty to me right Right? like i have a history and a culture and a context of why i make these and what i like um so i do think that there is something really beautiful about trying to explain um 
and I think it's like by like trying to explain, we also try to relate to each other. Right. Yeah. Um, because I think whenever I like I try to explain my art, it's not just like sharing myself. It's also just like, hey, like maybe that's a relatable thing to you, or maybe you can pick apart some 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 of it, and then maybe you can find something in my art that you also do, um, and we can talk about it. Um, so I th I think there is a huge part of it that's also that it's just like making our intentions clear um but yeah it it sucks to like having to like write <laughs> submit your art to a thing and then you're like oh, write in 2000 characters right. like explain it and then especially for academic stuff too like i've submitted to conference where they're like like cite your inspirations i was listening to some interview with some musical artist recently and they said explain your album in a sentence and she was like if I, I could explain it in a sentence it wouldn't be an album yeah <laughs> exactly like these things exist in their mediums mm -hmm. for a reason like these are the mediums that we choose to make art in and then just like enjoy that yeah yeah but I also do believe that again like the, nothing just comes from nothing yeah everything has a reason and a context um, so try, I think trying to find a, okay, I think it's like not trying to be, not trying to sound deep and not yourself mm -hmm. in these descriptions, I think is the key. Right. Like try to, s try to write in a way that represents how these work are honestly made, mm -hmm. I think is an important thing that I'm like learning and trying to grow as an artist. And not just be like, oh, I'm just going to throw some words together to make myself sound super deep. Right, yeah. I, I think it can serve as a method of self-protection to not want to explain it. Because it is vulnerable. Yes, right? absolutely. And most most art that people make is deeply personal. Mm. And it feels like such an effort to make it in the first place and then also have to explain it. It's like, you're just, you're asking me to do it all over again, but make it even plainer. Yeah. Kind of ripping down the wall that I just created of metaphor within this thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I don't know. I like your thinking about it. I think <laughs> that's a good approach. Um, I mean that that's kind of how I approach what I do. Um, but also, like, I do also enjoy writing. Mm -hmm. So, like, it doesn't come as a natural as I think for some other people who, because they couldn't write or they don't like writing, that's why they make things in other mediums. Right. Um, yeah, but I think for me, like, I, I do also like writing as well. Like, it's not something that feels painful mm -hmm. to me. So mm -hmm. it's like, I don't mind explaining myself in the beautiful language of English um, <laughs> or the beautiful language of Chinese. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think for me, it's always like an added layer of translation in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Of interpretation. Sometimes I even feel like when I'm going to an art show or a gallery and, you know, they pass around those little papers of explaining the art. I'm like, I don't want to know yet. <laughs> yeah, no, I no, no. Let me it. watch it. Let me <laughs> watch it first. <laughs> I want to get my own take and then I can go back and verify if it was right or not. I yeah. don't want to know it up front. Yeah. But sometimes it's also annoying when I go to a show and I, I see something and I'm like, OK, now I want to see your interpretation. And it says untitled. The artists want the audience to to explain it however they want. And yeah. I'm like, <laughs> but I also want your like how did you make it like I want to know like yeah. tell me <laughs> I was actually talking to my friend the other day have you ever ever seen Mulholland Drive yeah I did okay I was 
talking about how what I do like about David Lynch is that I don't feel like he has this secret metaphor that he's trying to get across to us versus most people who do surreal work or just stuff like that that's hard to understand. It feels like there's this huge, deeper meaning that he's trying to tell yeah. us over and over again. And the reason why I like Mulholland Drive is I don't think that he has that. <laughs> I don't think that there's this like secret metaphor that he's constantly trying to put forth. I think it truly is just an idea, and he's channeling it into existence. Like, it is what it is. Yeah, and yeah. he probably has his own interpretations of what it means, but I don't think that he thinks that it's more valid than anyone else's. Yeah, and I think it's like, I think that's also a part of like kind of like the, the cult following or like, you know, what you what you see as like a cult film is that like, so I, th- I think so much is if, of it is that the filmmaker not necessarily have like a hidden agenda or like something bigger, but mm-hmm. then it's like if the audience like want to find something out of it then they people often do and people yeah. often do and then people like like even taylor swift fans will like yes. always find hidden messages <laughs> right and i think it's just like within human nature to like to like try to like to like try to believe that the the director or like the the artist or the creator has like something big and special that's like planned and it needs to be like revealed in certain ways um but yeah i do also yeah i i i I, I do also see what you're saying, and I think it's, like, it's nice to see work that are just, like, it is surreal and abstract, but it doesn't have to be, like, deeper than it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think people are inherently looking for answers, and they want to know if they are right. People are very obsessed with that. Right. <laughs> I mean, I was even just saying that about, like, I want to circle back to read the artist statement to see if my interpretation was right. Uh, and you want to get like as close as possible. <laughs> people don't like being wrong for the most part. Yeah. Um, but maybe there's just not right or wrong. Exactly. We're just different people. And that's things what differently. Th- the true meaning of the word Lynchian means. <laughs> <laughs> We're just people. <laughs> we live in a society. <laughs> All right. So um, is there anything that you'd like the people to know about where to find your work, um, what you're doing, where it's happening, Ooh. stuff like that? Um, I have an Instagram. I have multiple Instagrams. <laughs> My main is at V10101A. Um, and it's Viola, but with an LOL in it, but then also in lead code. It's confusing. I will link them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I have a website, violand.xyz. Um, and yeah, you can always write to me. <laughs> Through what medium? Through... Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, on Instagram or like you can email me <laughs> I have an NYU institutional email viola at nyu.edu DMs I'm are open DMs, DMs are, are, open. are very open <laughs> um, I'm also single so <laughs> <laughs> it's a call it's a, it's a casting call yes it's a casting call <laughs> alright do you have any new um, uh, live code events coming up or what are you guys planning oh um i am trying to take a break for july because queer coded has been a really big production Mm -hmm. but i am also trying to put together a show um at the end of july uh, i'm gonna it's not like setting stone yet but i think it would be super super cool if i can put together a show in la because um, i lived in la for many years and i have like 
cool musician and visual art friends, but there's also no live coding in LA at all, which oh, is surprising. Yeah. Despite despite having a big uh, community in San Francisco, so I'm trying to gather some New York friends, some San Francisco friends, and then some like mu- musician friends that do AV work but not necessarily live coding together, and then do a show in LA in late July. So that will be my like my next big production, and then mostly I'm just trying to focus on. Um, I'm working on some like wearable tech stuff uh, for a residency that I have in August. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I'm just trying to like be more chill about organizing shows and stuff. But yeah, that will be like my one big production, um, and then I'm gonna go on the residency in August. So yeah, taking taking a small small break in the summer, and then just like trying to. Also, there are so many shows that I've played, like sets I've made in the past that I haven't really recorded. Mm-hmm. So I really also want to just like find better documentation, like record my sets and then maybe try to release them, like mix them better, produce a little bit. Cool. And then you'd release them like to hear online. Yeah, or I guess like, like SoundCloud or whatever. Or And then also just like having better videos online of right. like my playing. Yeah, so much of it is just like I've been so busy playing so many shows. I've had months where I like played like a show a week or something while having a full-time job. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a lot. Um, so now I'm trying to be a little bit more chill about it. Nice, I hear you. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thank you for talking to me. I'm glad that we got this opportunity. Yeah, same. Amazing. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye.